0: Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable.
2: Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Erebus CEO Barry Ryan has received a reprimand from Motorsport Australia for the light physical contact he made with Mark Winterbottom at Pukekohe. He was found in breach of rule B6.5.1, which reads, a person must not intentionally make physical contact, which includes any type of assault with another person except in self-defense. We'll have a lot more on that later in the show. In other Erebus news, the team is committed to repairing Will Brown's crashed Commodore before the Bathurst 1000. That means Greg Murphy and Richie Stanaway will be on the Great Race grid in the spare Erebus chassis. The Murphy Stanaway car will share a pit boom with the 888 wildcard driven by Craig Lowndes and Declan Fraser at Bathurst. It was a soggy old weekend at Sandown for the latest instalment of the Speed Series. There were some wild finishes in TCR Australia as the wins went to Aaron Cameron, first-time winner Ben Barguana and Will Brown. Nathan Hearn wrapped up his second Trans Am title with a win and a second place. Owen Kelly won race two, but it wasn't enough to stop Hearn becoming champion. In GT World Challenge Australia, Shane Van Gisbergen and Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim won a shortened opening race before Yasser Shahin and Garth Tander triumphed in the second. Ford has finally pulled the covers off its seventh generation Mustang. The global road car launch included renders of what the supercars version of the Mustang will look like when it hits the track next season and the GT3 car that is due in 2024. With the covers off the new model, Supercars is free to get the final round of VCAT aero testing underway, which is set to happen at some point in November. A Gen 3 prototype with the updated bodywork will be publicly unveiled at the Bathurst 1000 early next month. Ford also confirmed that it has established what is effectively a motorsport department here in Australia that will cover Supercars and any potential GT programs in the future. The field is set for the 2022 Bathurst 1000 after Brad Jones Racing locked in Jackson Evans to partner Jack Smith. And a number of technical innovations will be trialled at today's S5000 open test at The Bend, including a push-to-pass system and some new Hoosier tyre compounds. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I hear qualifies for a Formula 1 super licence based on his project car's two results alone, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week?
3: Hello, Andrew. I think we've wasted too much time driving the indie cars on Project Cars to get a super mm. licence. We might be out of luck there.
2: Good point. Good point. Well, look, you know I love a good whinge about a super licence system, Stefan. It's one of my favourite topics, uh, so we are definitely going to crack into that later in the show, but... I think we need to kick things off with the news that broke just as we were about to uh, hit record this morning. Of course, I'm talking about Barry Ryan being reprimanded by Motorsport Australia for some argy-bargy in the pits with Mark Winterbottom in New Zealand. Now, Motorsport Australia looked into the incident between uh, Barry and Frosty uh, where Barry was seen twice pushing Frosty as he tried to get him out of the Erebus garage following that that big crash for Will Brown, which was, uh, of course, instigated by contact uh, from Winterbottom. Uh, The stewards decided that there was a breach of rule B6.5.1, which reads a person must not intentionally make physical contact, which includes any type of assault with another person except in self-defence. However, the stewards' stewards' findings did also outline that Frosty didn't feel intimidated by the contact. Um, It seems that Ryan received the reprimand based mostly on the second push, which was slightly more aggressive, Than the first, there's a reference to to Frosty being put off balance by that push. Um, uh, Sort of blanket question first, Stefan. What what are your general thoughts on all this? I think it's the right outcome,
3: to be honest. They needed to draw a line without losing sight of the context. Clearly, it was hugely emotive because it was on TV and it was Barry Ryan who's a very polarising figure, especially with the fan base, but it was... Hardly assault or an act worthy of a big punishment. But from that official standpoint, they can't be seen to be condoning that sort of thing. And as soon as it was referred to the stewards, it appeared there would be some sort of reprimand because doing
2: nothing from there would have set an uncomfortable precedent. I just don't think I agree. I don't think even a reprimand is warranted, to be honest, for what we saw. Like, I don't think it should have been looked into I don't think it really needed that I kind of fundamentally understand what you're saying about there needs to be a line in the sand but I think it can be a fair way away from what we actually saw I mean he didn't clock the bloke and like if if what we saw isn't on I mean is supercar is going to ban footage of Murph prodding and poking Ambrose at the cutting during its Bathurst coverage next week because my guess is that we're going to see that footage over and over and over and over again because it's awesome and it's the edge that our sport needs. And, of course, I don't condone, I condone any violence, but Frosty didn't look all that distressed by the contact. He didn't leave the garage. You know, He stayed there. He obviously didn't feel threatened. The report says as much. Um, I, I really think the fact that it was even looked at is complete nonsense. We should be celebrating these rivalries. Worst stuff happens on a footy field week in, week out, and that's not a bad thing. We need passion. We need these guys to care about what they are doing because if they don't care about it, how can we expect the fans to care? So, yes, violence is bad, but I don't think this was violent. I think it was well within what we should see as an acceptable interaction between two sporting rivals.
3: I think there can be a difference between what the TV director wants to replay or what you like to write about and what the judiciary deems acceptable conduct. Because if they wave this away, they're actually condoning it. And it's very different to, say, the classic Murphy-Ambrose confrontation. I think a team boss is held to a different level of account in the garage post-race than what drivers are when they're standing on the side of the mountain. But at the end of the day, it's a Clayton's penalty, isn't it? Like it's not even a suspended penalty that could turn into something more later. It's just a no, reprimand. No, no,
2: exactly, exactly. No, but that's what I'm kind of saying. So what has this achieved? overdoing nothing about it, what's well, it done?
3: Well, they're saying that's not acceptable
2: conduct. Okay. But this exact same thing could happen between another team boss and driver or two drivers or whatever tomorrow and still nothing would happen. So what has it achieved? I mean, I, I, I just don't get if it wasn't bad enough to actually be deemed something punishable with a real punishment, then play on. It was great. Some guys went at it, you know, they were angry. They were passionate. They cared about the outcome of something that happened. It's so important for our sport. We don't see anywhere near enough of it. So the fact that we had this intervention at all, I I personally just think is unnecessary.
3: It's interesting that that explanation included a mention that Barry had texted the Team 18 rep and said, tell Frosty not to come down, and that Frosty then said he wouldn't have come down if he'd actually received that message. So uh, we've all had moments when we've like looked at our phone too late and gone, "Oh, I wish I'd seen that earlier." But that uh, that yeah, was a classic sure. case,
2: yeah. and and it was and this this is also referenced in the report. I mean, Will Brown had been on television several minutes earlier saying he better get down here and apologise. So I mean, there was a lot of conflicting information going on there as well because Will Brown saying, you know, I want this guy to come down here and tell me he's sorry, and Barry Ryan's texting. Um, teammate 18 saying, this blade better not show his face down here or he's going to get pushed. I'm not sure that's exactly what it said. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so it, it was – I think if you count all that in, like I guess the outcome is the right outcome because him being punished for it would have absolutely been the wrong outcome. But I also think that, you know, we need to be able to see that. I, I just – as I said before, I feel that's well within the realms of, a, of an acceptable interaction between – sporting rivals whether it's a team boss or or whatever it was so far off being something that was actually a bad look for the sport in my opinion
3: but it is team boss on player and i think if you transpose that to other sports if an afl coach came out at three-quarter time and uh, gave another player a bit of a shove i reckon you'd see some sort of reprimand for that
2: i think you'd see a pretty big brawl on the field and that would also get played over and over and be on the 6 o'clock news And, and, and you'd love nothing more than ways. that. Well, I just think that like that, that it, would, it, it wouldn't sort of, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We need, we, this stuff is good for our sport. Rivalries are good for our sport. We should like the fact that people take it seriously and get upset when it doesn't go their way. This is what sport is all about. That's what makes it such a great thing.
3: As Will Brown would say on Facebook, let's move on. Yeah. Okay.
2: (laughs) That's that's a very good idea. Okay. Well, we finally know what the new Ford Mustang looks like, Stefan. Uh, Ford underwent the global launch of the S650 or seventh generation Mustang late last week. Uh, Now the launch included a few more details on the motor racing program for the new Mustang, including renders of both the supercar and the GT3 car. Uh, the new Mustang will race in a number of series around the world, obviously including supercars from next season onwards and in GT3 and GT4 and NASCAR from 2024. It will also be used in the NHRA. Um, Stefan, let's start close to home with the supercar. Uh, I think it looks good. It looks, it looks like a better match to the Camaro in terms of that really modern Styling, um, So uh, to me, it looks a little bit better than the G3, gen sorry, the Gen 3 Mustang that we've already seen. And of course, it looks approximately 1 million times better than the Gen 2 Mustang, mm. which is not all that difficult. Uh, Stefan, your thoughts on the look of the new car? Yeah, there was a lot to take in all at once with that launch
3: in terms of a new road car And then that computer-generated video and, and stills of all those different race cars blazing around. Yeah. So it was interesting to see it all together because with this move to Mustang versus Camaro with Gen 3, there is that risk that supercars just blends into being a GT category, just looking like it's lost its DNA, which I know you spoke about when the Gen 3 cars first got rolled out. But the Mustang supercar and the GT3 car don't actually look much alike at all, do that? No.
2: Um, and so no, it's, no.
3: I think no. from what we've seen so far, the supercar actually sits nicely between that really aggressive GT3 and that GT4 car, which probably is, is too far down the production look for supercars. So I think mm-hmm. the supercar is a nice blend between having that um, – that uh, production s- styling without actually going too far.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a, um, I think that's a, that's a very good point. No, look, I think the car looks quite good. Obviously, it's not, it's, it is just a computer generated image. It's not the exact. We can't say it's the exact look of the car because they still have to undergo the homologation testing, the VCAT process for the aero, which will be November now, which is definitely pushing it pretty, pretty late because. Supercars did want to do that testing this month. That was always the plan, but the plan was always dependent on the uh, global unveiling of that Mustang because Ford made it pretty clear to supercars that um, they weren't going to take the risk of dressing a car up in panels and sending it out to an airfield somewhere and just hoping no one whips out their phone and uh, takes a quick photo of it and, and it gets leaked. So um, so it'll be November for the VCAT testing. Uh, the, the, the Mustang looks quite different to what the, the current S550 car does. So I'm guessing that, that it will be... A decent job to to paratise. They did a soft VCap, but it is going to have to be a fairly extensive VCap process again. I think to get that right, but that'll happen in uh, in November after the Gold Coast 500, and uh, yeah, then teams can spend the off season strapping panels on cars, and we can go racing next March. Um, There was some interesting stuff to come out of the launch, as you mentioned, Stefan, uh, and the subsequent media briefings with uh, Ford Performance boss Mark Rushbrook. Uh, One was there will be a motorsport department established here in Australia for this new era of Of Mustang Racing and Ford Performance Racing. Uh, It will consist of Justin Cappucciano, Brendan McGinniskin, and Ben Nightingale. Now, Justin's role is Ford Performance Motorsport and Special Vehicle Engineering. Brendan's role is Ford Performance Motorsport Engineering Lead Australia, and Ben will head up the communications, marketing, and commercial for motorsport. Uh, He's well known to the industry from his time working for supercars and then for Dick Johnson Racing. Uh, The idea is basically trackside support for teams at supercars events, um, and in the future to be involved in in any customer gd3 or gd4 programs that might pop up once those cars are on the market um Stephen, can we take this as a sign that ford really is taking this mustang program seriously yeah it's a clear sign of that for
3: sure because pretty much all of their involvement on the engineering side has been unseen like it's all done in the usa they've sent ford performance reps to the those vcat aero tests from the US in the past, so having boots on the ground full-time will clearly help with that side of it. be interesting to see what role they actually do play, though, once the car is homologated because the teams are very much individual engineering enterprises in their own right, Mm. as you know. But I'm sure they've got a plan around all that, and no doubt, as you suggest, they've got customer GT3 and GT4 programs very much in mind
2: here. That GT3 car does look pretty cool, as you flagged before. Um, Now, uh, Mark Rushbrook did tell me last week that he would definitely like to see that car racing at the Bathurst 12-hour in the future. I mean, uh, I'm guessing you'd probably like to see that too, Stefan.
3: Oh, absolutely. And it was a shame that with the whole Ford GT program that Ganassi was doing that was at Lamar and all of that, like there was no GT3 version for all those years, it, it sort of seemed like a tease that they were in GT racing, but they could never come to the 12 hour. So that obviously changes now. And, and Mark Rushbrook did say like, it's not just a must do race for them. It's a must win race. So yeah. that kind of hints at some kind of factory assisted uh, program. And I'm sure there'll be uh, some supercars drivers with their hands up for that. and And also some international GT guys that are part of the Ford program you would think would come down.
2: Um, There were some interesting comments from Mark Rushbrook on electrification and hybridization in supercars uh, and beyond. I'll just quickly play the audio. Here's what he had to say.
4: Our position on this has actually changed. Um, We were, I think, two or three years ago. Well, we were definitely two or three years ago pushing for electrification, including hybrid in a lot of big series around the world. Um, we're not, honestly, at this point. Uh, I know we have it with our Puma Hybrid in WRC, and it's actually working quite well there, and we've learned a lot from that, that we can transfer to our road cars. Um, but in series, including supercars and in, including NASCAR uh, and some of the sports car racing series that we're in, we do believe that, that ICE will continue to, to work very well for us for the foreseeable future because it, it does create that spectacle, it does create that emotional, passionate connection to the vehicle, uh, which helps our brand. And uh, at this point, with some of the cost and complexity of hybrid, it's not adding. If it's not going to add to the race, um, then we don't think it needs to be on there. So at this point, for for supercars uh, or many of our other global series, we're, we're not advocating to to add it.
2: Now, that's an interesting take uh, and kind of goes against this broad push to bring those greener technologies um, into motor racing. I mean, for me, it's actually a nice thing to hear. And, and to be honest, you know, we've seen with Formula One how even a hybrid powertrain can severely affect the look and feel of a racing series. Um the visceral experience that we so often hear about it is so important to this sport. Um, the funny thing with supercars is that with the E85 fuel, it is actually relatively environmentally friendly anyway. And we don't hear all that much about it, but I mean, that stuff is mostly molasses. So the, the series actually kind of does its bit for the environment um, already. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not anti-hybrid technology. I'm, as environmentally sensitive as the next person, but I don't think rushing a hybrid program into supercars would actually add to what the category, to its credit, already does.
3: Yeah, I mean, when I hear those comments, I think it's hugely significant for supercars that Ford is still keen to promote internal combustion and is willing to back categories that are entertainment over technology. The need to be greener is still a looming cloud there for supercars, no doubt. Like when you're dealing with governments and the greater business sector, it'll need to be addressed more eventually. But the ones who will drive direct change in this space are the car manufacturers. And supercars would have been in a really difficult spot if Ford had insisted on hybrid for Gen 3. I mean, when you look at Gen 3 being over budget and over complicated as it is, imagine what a hybrid version of this thing would have looked like. On the Chevy side, they're obviously less invested, but it'll be interesting to sort of track their stance on all this going forward as well. Like there's a lot of stories around at the moment suggesting that the Camaro nameplate could soon be rebooted as a four-door electric car, which would be quite a quite a shift for the Camaro brand.
2: Absolutely, and I think that, you know, Chevy's sort of involved in this Garage 56 NASCAR thing, which will be hybrid powered as well. So there is some movement in that space, but, yeah, very, very interesting. Well, the Bathurst 1000 grid is finally set, Stefan, with BJR pouncing on Jackson Evans after his evaluation test at Winton yesterday. I mean, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago uh, when we talked about the fact he was going to do this test, but, I mean, what a last-minute addition to the field this bloke is.
3: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how Jackson goes. It's a big shift for him going from Porsches to the supercar, which he hasn't raced before, but there won't be too much pressure, I suppose, being in the car that that he is. Um, the rookie stories I always think are a great part of Bathurst And last year we nearly didn't have any rookies Until Tickford subbed Zach Best in for Alex Premer And Zach ended up doing a great job So this year we're back up to seven rookies Which coincidentally is the same number as we had in 2020 And it's a great roll call of young talent on that list of rookies When you line up Matt Payne, Cameron Hill, Aaron Seaton. Declan Fraser, Matt Charter, and Jay Robotham. It's a great opportunity for a lot of young guys to show their stuff on the big stage.
2: Absolutely, and what's really good news is that we looks like we will have all twenty eight cars uh, on the Bathurst grid. Um, as it looks like Erebus is going to repair Will Brown's car, that means as Murph predicted to us on the pod last week that he and Richie Stanaway will be there, which is um, which is great. Let's have a chat about the Sandown Speed Series round, Stefan. I have to say I was feeling pretty smug sitting in a warm and sunny Wanneroo Raceway while uh, watching on over the weekend. There are wet race meetings and then there was that. Some of the footage of cars going off and splashing through the puddles was uh, was amazing, to be honest. Um, we're, we're at the business end of the TCR season, and, boy, it really looks like Tony D'Alberto is putting together a title-winning season. No wins on the weekend, but just consistently up there, um, even when he was behind Jordan Cox, minimising the points damage. Do you reckon he's got it from here, Stefan? He's certainly in the box seat. Like he's got a healthy gap back to
3: Jordan Cox now with one round to go. But that could actually change very slightly this week because the results for that final Sandown race are still preliminary while a couple of incidents are being looked at, including the one with Tony yeah. and Bailey Sweeney yeah. in that last race. So I think Tony was largely the victim in that. Like Sweeney gave him a couple of hits through turn one. But you know, the Hyundai ultimately got fired off the road. So we'll have to yeah. see what they end up making of that. But um, I've got to say from the weekend, like, I love the way the Stand TV team were doing post-race interviews and teeing up the footage of incidents to play for the drivers to talk to. Like, there's nothing yeah. worse than in those interview situations when the driver says, oh, I haven't seen the incident. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't really want to comment. Like, actually getting their live reactions when they haven't seen it before is fantastic, especially when uh, it's the likes of Jay Hansen and, and James Moffat involved.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. That was um, that's always interesting to watch. Um, and you know, we've said it before the TV the TV product for all that stuff is actually fantastic. It's just a shame that perhaps not that many people are, are watching it with where it's running. Well, it was a thrilling conclusion to the Trans Am season, uh, Stefan, as Nathan Hearn claimed the title over Gary Rogers Motorsport teammate Owen Kelly. I know you're a big uh, Trans Am man, so you would have been watching on Mm -hmm. closely for this. Um, I actually grabbed Nathan for a chat about his season and his future uh, yesterday, and here it is. Yeah, congratulations on winning a second Trans Am title over the weekend. Uh, pretty tough conditions to do it in uh, as well. I'm sure you would have preferred more straightforward weather to deal with across the title-deciding weekend. It looked uh, pretty wild there at Sandown.
0: Yeah, it was not a grouse weekend. It was sort of one of those weekends you want to, be a spectator rather than a driver. Yeah, um, but yeah look, I mean, it, it was good to sort of get it done, um, I guess, in different circumstances. I think in, in race or well, before race two, which was race one for the weekend, uh, I was bloody nervous for the start and then we, you know, had a, everyone had to start for pit lane so I think that took a lot of pressure off because, yeah, I was more or less worried just about turn one and, and turn two and what was going to happen to there and make sure I wasn't going to get torpedoed from behind but, yeah, so, yeah, it, it, it was good in some regards but, um, yeah, much more, well, I would have much rather be dry for the for the whole weekend but, yeah, in the end it all worked out and, um, yeah, I'm happy that we managed to get it all wrapped up.
2: Those cars look like a handful in the dry. They must be like Really difficult to drive in the wet.
0: Yeah, so the who's your wets just do not disperse water. The water sort of channels into different grooves, but it doesn't go sideways out the tire like my sweats do. Um, so as soon as you hit standing water in one of our cars, you are aquaplaning. So it doesn't matter how much standing water there is, just aquaplanes. Um, so you have you know going down the straight, your left front aquaplane and your right front aquaplane, um, and then yeah, you just sort of get pulled every every different direction. So even going down the straights, probably the hairiest part especially around the back because it's so quick and there's a lot of standing water at Sandown. So, yeah, it was different. But, um, I mean, everyone was in the same boat, I guess you could say. And, and yeah, you just had to keep it on the black stuff and, I mean, yeah, just play it safe.
2: There's been a bit of talk about a bit of tension in the GRM garage between yourself and and Owen Kelly. I mean, has that been the case? And regardless of that, you know, it, 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 is it satisfying to win this title against someone who kind of has the track record that, that he has?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, it's... It, Certain points, I mean, when you're one and two in a championship and the same thing, you're always going to butt heads, I guess. And yeah, we did butt heads a couple of times, but uh, towards the end of the year, I think we sort of just mellowed out and, and respect each other for what we've done for the year and um, and sort of work together as, as a team. And yeah, it's good to, I think the last round was probably the closest we've been since we met each other. So that's... a. Uh, a bit of a positive, but um, yeah, look, I mean, and and Owen, he, he stepped up in the last round, you know, for the rest of the year, you know, I felt like I always had the had the wood over him, but yeah, in that last round I was, I was driving 10 10s trying to keep in front of him. So yeah, he, he definitely stepped up for the last round and uh, you can tell he's had a few c out 500s under his belt because as soon as it started raining, he knew exactly where to go. So yeah, I mean, it was good to race against, uh, I mean, a bloke of his experience in motorsports, not like AFL or anything. You know, when you when you get older, you don't really lose too much time. You sort of just get more experience. So, um, yeah, yeah it, was, it was cool to tick it off. And, um, yeah, now coming to Bathurst with a fresh mind and, yeah, see what happens.
2: You've been in the series for a while. It must be nice seeing this kind of incredible trajectory that Trans Am is on at the moment. I mean, it really is becoming more and more popular at state level and at that national series level. It must just be a nice thing to see as someone who's been involved for so long.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, we bought car number 16 when it came into the country and now they're over 70. So, yeah, it, it's been called cool to grow with the category, I guess. We got to a crossway, cr- crossroad out of Formula Ford where I couldn't go to Super 2 because there's too much money and um, and couldn't do Formula Ford again because there really wasn't any point for me to do it again. So, um, yeah, we just sort of had to take a leap and, and hope for the best with the Tier with 2 and, and what it was, Tier 2. Um, and, yeah, we, we finally managed to well, – well, now it's time to get – get some momentum behind it and, uh, yeah, Sirius is going to leave some bounds forward. So, um, yeah, looking forward to next year. I reckon it'll be a, a bigger year, 30-plus cars for most rounds, I reckon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Bathurst is going to be a real scene set up for next year and get a few cars who uh, want to take the punt this year um, but didn't want to jump in midway to a championship. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what Bathurst, what Bathurst brings and, uh, yeah, it should set up a, a rough indicator of what's going to happen for next year.
2: So are you going to be there next year? I mean, two Trans Am titles down, you know, that is the question, what what the plan is from here. You talked about the cost of Super 2 and all that sort of stuff. What What's your sort of medium to long-term plan at the moment?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I'm pretty happy with, with GRM, obviously. You know, they've given me a lifeline with racing. Um, you know, 2020, I was sort of at that another crossroad, I guess, where you sort of think, oh, well, do I keep racing Bitchman and forking out all this money or do I go race Speedway and, and I can race for longer? So. We got to our crossroad then obviously got with GRM and, and they came into Trans Am. And, yeah, look, I mean, it was only our first year with them. And, yes, I've been in Trans Am for a long time. But, um, yeah, I, I think for next year it's much the same. I'm going to be doing Trans Am and, and try and do as much as 5,000 as I can. um, I just keep the seat time. But for, for me to move forward, yeah. uh, I don't really have the budget goes to two. So I either need to fall over the winning lotto ticket or I need to get to SVG-type driver into, into Trans Am and, and really compare myself to the... I don't know to big names, I guess, and um and just see, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's come far enough along that um yeah, it's definitely respected as a as a pathway, and um yeah, I'm just sort of the, I wouldn't say unlucky one, but the the uh, the one asked to sort of break the water for everyone else to to sort of you know show that this pathway can be can be done, but um yeah, look, I mean, with Gary and Barry on my side, I reckon we'll be pretty right, so. Yeah, we'll just see what next year brings, um, and then just yeah, take from there, I guess, on on what what happens after that.
2: So you would like to be someone who can forge this sort of new path to supercars through Trans Am. I mean, it makes sense. It's a V eight powered tin top that's difficult to drive. It is actually a pretty good way to learn how to drive a supercar. Is that still your long term ambition to end up in supercars?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, for for me, I've. I've Sort of given up on, on normal life. I've moved to Melbourne, moved away from my family and, and all my mates from back in Lismore, and and yeah, just started fresh really. And and for me, you know, I don't want to sort of go back to Lismore until I sort of have a, a career where you know I drive cars, I can live off driving cars. So that's sort of my goal for for short to medium term, and then obviously long term, we'll see what happens. But yeah, wherever that be, you know, it might even just be in Trans Am. You know, Trans Am's getting more and more commercial interest as we go on, so. Um, yeah, if I can make a living driving Trans Am, I, I don't see any reason I need to move up any further. But um, yeah, I mean, supercars right now, its it's got the most sponsorship uh, sponsorship dollars um, in Australia. And, and it's really probably somewhere I can uh, sort of see myself going, especially with Gen 3. You know, the cars come more and more like Trans Ams and yeah. Holdsworth and a lot of drivers have said that the supercars are just basically a Trans Am car with radial tyres. So yeah, I, I think it's probably a realistic goal to aim for, but yeah. Um, yeah, but just has got to sort out the, all the all the stuff behind the scenes and, and try and get it all done. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident that should hopefully be happening sometime soon.
2: I mean, we we saw Brody Kastecki have a run in the trans Am car. There was obviously the whole Shane Van Gisbergen and saga and he he was going to and then he wasn't going to. Um so you would welcome more of those guys coming in. You'd like to 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 have that benchmark to be able to say to you know, to to showcase to the to everyone watching that you are at that level or you are working towards getting to that level.
0: Yeah, I mean 100 percent. Because at the end of the day, you know, all these supercar drivers are probably the most race fit, and they are, they are the best drivers in the country. But um, you know, being in Trans Am, we, we do know the cars inside out, and and you know, we we haven't got any. I mean, the, the talent at the front of the field is as deep as any other category there is. And um, you know, they showed at QR. When we had Brody come in, and and he was at the front, which is what you'd expect him to be. And uh, but you know, he didn't didn't sweep the floor with us, you know. So it'd be good to have a lot more supercar guys come in, um, just as a reference for the crowd. You know, I, I think. I'd know it in myself sort of where I do sit um, but yeah, for other people looking from the outside looking in, uh, yeah, it'd be good to get reference of, you know, some big names, you know, if we had a SVG come in, uh, you know, it'd, it'd definitely be very interesting to see where we sat but um, yeah, look, I, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future and hopefully that, that uh, cross-platform, I guess, can could be something but yeah, we'll just wait and see Whilst, uh yeah, it's not, not up to me to decide so I'm just going to keep steering the thing and, um, and if other blokes want to come in and, and have a go and you know, I'll be more than happy to have some big names come in and, and benchmark myself against them
2: Stefan I do hope this bloke finds his way into the supercar system because you know we've mentioned it before and we'll talk more about super license, super license nonsense very soon but if a talent like that can't find his way in the system needs changing
3: well, going by that chat, I get the feeling Nathan was more disappointed than anyone when Shane van Gisbergen was blocked from racing uh, Trans Am at QR.
2: Yeah, yep, yep. No, I think he's pretty keen to uh, he's pretty keen to match himself up against the absolute best. No doubt about that. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Ania Bassianini won a spellbinding Aragon Grand Prix ahead of Francesco Bagnaia and Aleish Espagaro. Jack Miller was fifth and Remy Gardner 16th while a crash between Fabio Quattararo and Marc Marquez blew the title fight wide open. Espagaro now just 17 points behind the Frenchman. Chris Busher held off Chase Elliott to win the NASCAR Cup Series race in Bristol ending a 222 race winless streak. Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick were eliminated from the title race. And Colton Herder's Formula One dream is over, at least for the time being. Red Bull has abandoned efforts to sort out a super license for the American so that he could join AlphaTauri. He only had 32 of the 40 points required for a license, despite being a seven-time IndyCar race winner. Nick DeFries is now being linked with an AlphaTauri deal, as well as the interest from Alpine and Williams for next season. All that depends on whether Red Bull releases Pierre Gasly to go to Alpine. Stefan, you know I love a good super license tear-up, whether at home or abroad. I mean... How does this bloke even need an exemption? Like, I I can fundamentally understand not giving someone an exemption, but he shouldn't need one. How would he be a danger to other drivers? I mean, this is a complete joke, right? Yeah, it's a massive
3: own goal for F1, you know, when you consider the benefits that having an American driver like Colton would bring, but also just the excitement of seeing how he'd go. So I think the FIA needs to admit they've got this wrong. The waiting for IndyCar isn't right. And they need to fix that going forward. But to be honest, I'm torn on whether he should get an exemption because that does open the door to political influence and arguments on a range of drivers going forward. I find it interesting too that there are a few avenues where Herder could have gained a few extra points, be it FP1 outings or even yeah. competing in a series like TRS down in New Zealand over our summer. That aren't being pursued all that heavily, so it's a little bit of it's been a little bit last minute, Larry from Red Bull, I reckon, it, and it's all come on that like the knock on from the Alonso and Piastri sagas, really.
2: Yeah, for sure, but like, and I totally agree with you that yeah, handing out exemptions is is a dangerous precedent to set. It's the fact that he needs one in the first place that's the issue. You know, he even came out and said, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking for for special treatment." But why on earth do I not qualify given what I've already achieved? And I can kind of understand that like a bloke who's won a bunch of IndyCar races and is about to step into a Formula One seat doesn't necessarily want to come down and do TRS against a bunch of kids. Like I I sort of get that. As cool as it would be, and maybe the attitude should be, well, it's a race car, just go down there and race it. But I can sort of understand how how that wouldn't be overly, overly attractive. But – yeah, I just think it's another example of these systems completely failing talent. It is, a, is bit a, of, a
3: bit of a perfect storm of um, IndyCar not being weighted correctly, but then his results have been a little bit unfortunate as well. Like for him to be ninth, I believe it was, in the 2022 standings. Um, yeah, like if, if he'd been high, a fair bit higher than that, this wouldn't actually be a drama.
2: Okay, Castrol mailbag time. Now, Declan Lynch asks, why main game drivers don't do Super 2 on race weekends uh, for extra seat time and mileage, similar to how NASCAR drivers often race in Cup and Xfinity? It's an excellent question, Declan, Uh, and we sometimes actually see the opposite thing happening. For example, Jay Robotham has decided not to do Super 2 at Bathurst so we can focus on his great race duties with Matt Charter. Um, Stefan, would double duties even be allowed under our current supercars rules? No, it's explicitly uh, prohibited
3: that you're not allowed to run both series on a sprint weekend, and we have seen that enforced before. Like, I do remember Jack Perkins was subbing for LDM in the main game at the back end of 2017, but he couldn't do Newcastle, uh, which was the final round, because he was committed to his Super 2 program. Um, you do reference that we see a bit of double duties at Bathurst, but it always goes the other way, and anyone who wants to do Super 2, for the Bathurst round has to have done three other Super 2 rounds earlier that season. And, I mean, the overall context too, while we're talking rules, is that the top 14 from the previous year's Supercars Championship are ineligible for Super 2 the following season, even if they lose their full-time ride. So there's a clear policy there of not wanting main game stars coming down a tier and taking seats and sponsorship away from the young kids coming through. So it's it's an interesting one. I mean, it's a great question. What do you make of this? Is it the right policy to have this in place?
2: It's a tough one. It's a tough one to answer. Like in a way, you know, if, if guys were stepping back to get that seat time, what a great way for kids in Super 2 to benchmark themselves against the main game drivers. But in another way, would it ever actually be a fair fight? Because Super Two is notorious for its lack of miles. I mean, that's why guys opt to do wildcard programs instead of Super Two. Um, so having main game drivers dropping back, they're always just going to come in more race fit and be pretty hard to beat. And if the main game guys are toweling up the Super Two kids, a case for promotion can be harder to make. Probably the other the other factor to think about moving forward is the fact that the hardware is actually going to be quite different um, from from now on when you've got Gen 2 cars in Super 2 and Gen 3 cars in in the main game. But, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a tricky one and a very good question. Um, and, yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, I'm not entirely sure if it's a good idea or not. be cool to see, though. Yeah, no doubt. Even if they just let main game drivers do
3: one um, Super 2 round each year, it'd definitely be a fun storyline and something to follow, probably lift the profile of Super 2. But, um, yeah, there's a few reasons there why it's probably not great. And personally, I just think there needs to be more effort into helping people go the other way and be to, Super 2 drivers do more wildcards, which we've talked about, the fact that uh, Supercars is trying to rein that in. So, um, yep. yeah, if there's more crossover,
2: I'd definitely like to see it as people going up rather than people going down. Absolutely. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, who's getting your star this week?
3: Well, I'm going with Ben Barguana, who rebounded from a crash in practice one at Sandown to score his maiden TCR race win on Sunday, as you mentioned in the headlines at the top. But for those who didn't see it, he was trailing Jordan Cox into the last two corners of that race, and they both speared off as a downpour hit, and Benny scrambled back on first. So there was a bit of confusion as to whether he'd actually keep the win, but once it was confirmed, his excitement was just fantastic to see and he even gave it a bit of how good's this in his TV interview, <laughs> channeling his old man, which uh, as you know, yeah. I absolutely love that stuff. So uh, well
2: done to him. I'm going to crack my star into quarters and split it between Toby Price, Paul Wheel, Dale Moskett and Preston Schmidt. They finished fifth outright and won the extreme two-wheel drive class at the Baja 400 over the weekend in their Team Australia trophy truck. So that's a pretty handy outing as they look to uh, go for a bit of Baja One Thousand glory later in the year.
3: A quarter of a star of the week each—they'll be
2: stoked. Mm-hmm. Yep, no, it's uh, it will definitely be a great honour for uh, you know a two-time Dakar winner like Toby Price. <laughs> I'm sure this will go straight to the top of his trophy cabinet. Before we go, uh, if any of you fine listeners are heading to the Bathurst 1000 in a couple of weeks, please get in touch and let us know. Uh, Stefan and I are planning a little listener catch-up, more than likely at one of Bathurst's fine watering holes at some point over that weekend. We'll have more details soon, but if you enjoy a cold beverage and talking about racing cars, it will probably be worth checking out. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News.